When the outside world starts failing you, it's an invitation to come inside and discover really who you are, what you're about, and what you want to accomplish while you're time on the planet. Failing. 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 I know. We talk about failure. Some battles you feel like you lost. And survival. Some battles you feel like you win. It's tough. I had to make some tough decisions. We've all faced failure, but what steps do we take to launch ourselves into success? I'm Sarah Brown. There is life, a blessing. Your dream. and then what we do with it. And this is Failing Forward. So, Stephen, um, this is like such a thrill for me and listeners, my close friends, you have heard me talk about Steven's podcast, uh, called the dreams course. Did I call it the right? Is that the right name? Yeah. That's what I thought. Okay. And, uh, listeners, sorry, Steven, I'm going to totally do an intro on this, but the, the podcast is where Steven has memorized over 90, is it 90 quotes? 90 and growing. God, 90 <laughs> quotes. And you say them every day, right? Yeah. Oh my gosh. And then he and his son, Michael, because I want to be best friends with Michael, I'm going to refer to him as Mikey. They pick a quote and then they talk about it. And listeners, I listen to this podcast during the day. I listen to it before I go to bed. I listen to it when I wake up. It's just the most centering uh, the other night I did it on a Friday night because I just wanted something interesting that was different from watching Netflix. And then I journaled around it and it's these beautiful quotes. And so welcome, Stephen. What a great intro. <laughs> I love that intro. <laughs> oh, okay. And then also, because I'm going to geek out even more for people that are my age, mid forties, late forties, there was a movie called Stealing Home that we literally would skip school and watch at my friend's house during lunch because we loved Billy so much. And Stephen, <laughs> you wrote that movie and you directed it. And it was it was autobiographical. Yes, it was. Um, it was. It, well, it's it's actually uh, a moment of failing forward. It was decided to write something that was personal because I thought I was leaving show business. <laughs> I wanted to write something that I could show my children later that dad oh. tried to be in show business, but this is what he wanted to write. I figured I never would sell Stealing Home, but I figured I wanted to write something that mattered to the heart. So I wrote about the summer my father who was killed in a car accident. And it's about that summer and about a female best friend I made that summer. So is it true? Did you have a love affair with her too? Yes. And she was, was she your, she was your babysitter, right? She was kind of a babysitter. She was a companion for my mother. She was considered, she was four years older than I am was. She's an exceptional, she, if she were alive today, she would have been in the course. She was beautiful, mm. intelligent, funny, all the great attributes you would want, but didn't fit into a time and space where women were going to be recognized for that and adored. And so she never fit in. And her life tragically came to an end two years after my father died. Yeah. And I don't want to ruin the movie. I want people to watch it if they haven't seen it because it's so good. Um, 
So uh, I could go to, I could go down this vein, but guys just go to Wikipedia and you can look up Steven. Steven, can we, can we talk about individuation and what that means in this, this body of work that you're doing around that? And then we will get into your, into the, the failing forward, but I, okay. can you teach me on individuation? Yeah. And I don't want to keep it so erudite that it doesn't feel like it's something we can connect to. Individuation yeah. is a Carl Jung term that expresses the journey, the unique journey that an individual takes to find their true inner self um, and follow it. It's a journey, what Herman has called, it's a journey with a plot that leads nowhere but to the self. Hmm. It's a journey of discovering your inner life and not just your external life. In fact, that's what it's really about. It's suddenly, not suddenly, but for various reasons, many of us are don't follow the normal path of, you know, normal childhood, job, marriage, and things break apart and we get alienated. And this is actually the gift of the universe because it allows us to follow our own path. So when my father died that was tragic but on the other side it was liberating because i had to figure out for myself what i wanted to do i wasn't going to follow someone else's footsteps there were going to be my footsteps my mistakes and all that but ultimately my path and that's made all the difference in the world can you talk about what you just said about alienated because because something in that resonates with me for me right now but, but yeah. can you go? It's, yeah. Well, you kind of have to feel alienated to be individuated. Because otherwise, if your life is working so damn well on the externals, you're not going to bother to go into the inside life. You're going to ignore oh. it. But when the gift has come, when stuff happens to you, you're actually being thrown the opportunity to change your, what, what Joseph Campbell calls, change your, uh, transfer your emphasis to more radical emphasis from the outer world to the inner world. When the outside world starts failing you, it's an invitation to come inside and discover really who you are, what you're about, and what you want to accomplish while you're time on the planet. Okay, why is that? Why is there not a great emphasis on that? And has there ever been a great emphasis on that if we look at the history of the world? Zero. <laughs> because we're external. We're about, look at, look at the American values, what matters? Security, safety, money, everything external, boats, houses. But it used to be freedom. That's the beauty of it. That's the one thing that is so wonderful, that we do have the freedom to choose to come on the inner path. But most people don't want to take the inner path because, you know, guess what? It may be alienated. You may not have as many friends. You may have to walk away from situations in order to follow who you truly are. So most people want to avoid that experience. So they stay in the external world, hoping to control it and manipulate it. So it works out to their benefit. So the, the, um, that, that word alienated, I, th I think is. It's a good gosh. sign. It's a good sign when you're alienated. <sighs> 
It means that you're going, why my life? Why am I this way? But if you pull it inside and say, and you're you're already, I can tell you already, you're an individuated soul. Just that's who I, you I don't I, I think the universe is giving me more and more practice. I don't know if I think I choose it because like you said, I I I might hit like and we wrote about this in email, but you know, dark times cause for reflection. Um, but, I, but it's hard, man. Yeah. I mean, I'm, it's, it's, why, it's why they do It's why not every, it's why I have such respect for people that do it because my, my son, Mikey, we were talking about Mikey in the podcast. Yeah. He's a totally individuated soul. Like he doesn't care about money. He doesn't care. He lives, he, he's currently living in a van he traveled to, grew up in, in um, went to school in China, went to school in England, lived in the South, they had a blog wow. of, in the South Pole, um, he worked for an AIDS in Africa, and, um, and he doesn't... And he lives like off the grid, right? He lives off the grid. He'll, so last summer he was up with us in Maine, and that's where one afternoon we were just hanging out together. And we had this conversation, and that's when I think he said, you know, that would be interesting to hear because we started to connect in a way that we hadn't been able to do before the pandemic. Hmm. You know, we were together for three months. When are you going to get that opportunity with a child at 35 years old? You know, what, what I like about your relationship is that on the podcast is that you don't talk to him as if he's your child. I don't think he might feel differently, but it's almost like you're talking to each other as if you're two human beings. Hmm. Is that by design? Uh, I think it's out of, for me, it's out of respect for him because I've spent that summer last summer, I watched him in action and he, he, he lives, uh, you know, he, he walks the talk. Yeah. And I watched him the way he handled. He grew a whole organic garden on his own. He surfed in Maine. Good luck with that. Uh, <laughs> and I finally saw, I just find he's an incredible cook. Yeah. And I just looked at him and I realized that I just kind of said, I really, I don't know him as much as I thought I did, but now I'm learning about him and I have a lot of respect. So when we do the show, I, I treat him like, I guess we're two guys in conversation. That's what it is. So I want to go back to one thing because it's like wearing on me. So to be individuated, like, I still like money, Stephen. <laughs> I still like things. That's okay. <laughs> I still like my dogs. You know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the dogs aren't things, but you know what I mean? Yes, so I do. How how do you... Yeah. How do you balance that? Well, I think that's the key. I think balance is the, the biggest thing to take away from this conversation. If you're externalized, you're totally externalized. Yeah. And not spending any time on your internal voices, nourishing the inner voices that have been ignored by years, like about dreams. Why are people listening to their dreams? 
They're communicating messages every day, every night, three to four or five times, trying to tell you things that are going on in your body, in your lack of balance in one issue, one area. It's communicating like your best friend. And yet, look at it as a culture. Dreams are considered like just a waste of time or they're weird. Oh, I had a weird dream. No, it's yeah. not weird. It's coming from your brain. You invented it. So... Uh, the truth of the matter is that having money or having a good life or doing whatever you're going to do is fine as long as at the same time you're developing your inner life and letting it grow, let it get the things it wants because it doesn't care about money. It cares right. about your spirit. It cares about, and that's why I have the five principles that I get my dreamers to just try to do this every single day for a week <laughs> and watch okay. what happens. Are you ready? First yeah, of all, give those. breathe deeply and often. Okay, I'm writing these Find down. Find beauty mm -hmm. in each day. Think creatively in all choices. Dwell in gratitude. Serve the self in others. Just those five. And I add the same because I mean, it was in comedy. I add laugh until it hurts and then laugh some more. And so, but if you try to, so let me give you an example. If I'm walking, I was walking one day in the morning walk with my dog and I came across, it was garbage day and some elderly neighbors, all the garbage from the wind had spilled out onto the road. The old me would look at that and say, what a pain in the ass. I'm not going to clean that up. That's not, yes. I didn't do it. No one look out right. the window, get mad at me. I didn't do it. It's a wind. Come on. But instead, what I said was, ah, an opportunity to serve the self and others. Now I'll take care of that for the day. I've already done it at eight o'clock in the morning. So you change your whole perception of what you're looking for in the day and what you're looking for are different ways to feed your inner spirit. And when you feed your inner spirit and you're having success on the outside, that's a great combo. So in one of your episodes, you talked about, um, I can't remember the exact topic, but you'll remember when I say it, you were talking about, hey, you're you're looking for a bird and you walk into the doctor's office or into oh, somewhere yeah, yeah. and there's a bird on the wall. Like that's not a coincidence. And the fact that you brought up that garbage thing is hilarious because this morning I'm walking the dogs <laughs> and I notice all this garbage in my new neighborhood and I'm pissed about it. I'm seriously pissed about it. Right. Did I pick up any of it? Mm -mm. No, because you have every right to be pissed off. It's not my there's, garbage. There's even a grocery cart, and I've been envisioning, <laughs> how do I get that grocery part? And then I'm thinking, well, it's this neighborhood is a little bit more diverse, and so there are some people who, you know, who, like, don't have cars, right? Like, they need that, that grocery cart they probably took to the grocery and back home, but then they left it on the street, and I'm pissed. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So I just, it just means that, uh, for me, uh, I'm just trying to transfer my, my thinking and I'm doing a lot these days. I think I've been a shallow breather all, all my life. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and in some ways that served me, but as I got older, it's not. So I'm just, I'm actually feel like I'm breathing for the first time and I'm doing more of it. And I notice that when I breathe for 
a while. Yeah. What happens is I create space in my head to not to react to everything. Wow. It's just simple why, breathing. Why do you feel like it served you at some point? The shallow because, breathing. Because um, I had a lot of anxiety. I've used anxiety to my benefit. I've motivated, I've motivated work, comedy, uh, my career in that comedy, and ambition. I was an ambitious person. And the anxiety said either you're going to you're either going to overcome this or you're going to uh, be defeated by it. And if you overcome it, you'll grow. And it was always, a, a, you know, a, um, a struggle with anxiety. But most of the time until I got older, it was fine. Uh, I used it. I used the energy of anxiety. So in comedy, Second yeah. City in Chicago, you're performing every night. You're improvising. It's great to have anxiety. I was getting rid of it. I was using it. Oh. I wasn't seeing it at home just being anxious. I was I, I was finding outlets. That's what I want to say. So and but as when I got, did yeah, when did it shift? Well, when I realized that uh, I have Parkinson's. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so when did that happen? Is, is that going to be one of your challenges? No, no uh, well, one of the challenges has been, this is the, what's so interesting about everything, that Parkinson's, I hate to say this, but it's been like, it's, I've done more growing and changing since I've gotten Parkinson's than I ever did when I didn't. It's made me, it's just changed me in a way where, a, that's one of the reasons I do the course, because all donations go directly to Parkinson's research. I didn't know that. By yeah, the way, I, I, um, I, listeners, I'm signing up, so I hope you guys do too. <laughs> I don't, yeah. Um, so I don't ever see money. I actually have them donate money, and then they show me the receipt. I literally never <laughs> touch anything to do with money, because money can be the beginning of real other issues and i at this time in my life i had a career we're retired and yeah. this has been the calling this is my calling and the parkinson's has brought it all together actually oddly so did you start the dreams course after you got parkinson's i had had a version of it when i taught in uh, boarding school but yeah the serious version happened after i got parkinson's wow and here's the other thing that's weird. I Skype with a wonderful man named Alex Curtin. For those who may have this uh, condition, Skype, I mean, not Skype, Google Alex Curtin, K-E-R-T-E-N. Yeah. Alex is my mentor. He's my guru. He's, he's in Israel. And we work on the mental aspects of the disease, the, the physical but also the mental of changing perceptions on everything. And that's then had a huge impact on my course. So these two are like in, are symbiotic. And, um, and I always tell my students, you know, I say I'm the teacher of this course, but I'm also one of the students. Mm. And the truth is, uh, I have a mentor that uh, has changed my approach to the disease. I've had the disease now for three and a half years, but I'm yet to be on medication really 
Okay, wait, share with us like one of the tips that he's taught you. Okay, I'll give it. The body lives in the present and the mind lives in the past and the future. Honor the body. And when you get out of the present moment into the future, bring the future into the present, you're bringing anxiety to your body because the body's experiencing it as if it were happening now. So I told you I'm like going through this divorce and it's been really challenging. And a lot of it is like grieving, you know? Yeah. And, and, and so a lot of it's like going back to the past and thinking, well, when this happened, like, is this what's going on? Like evaluating it. And I want to be able to grieve, but I also don't want to rehash the past. So what advice would you give? Just just take care of, listen carefully to yourself. Listen to where you're hurting or you're not hurting, what, you're, what your soul is craving for, and follow it. Take care of your body right now. Don't let your body get diseased by the complications of, of the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. Honor it. You do disease comes from when we don't acknowledge something in us in our heart in our minds so we deny it, embrace it. And of course, if you have a dream life, do you have a dream life? Do you what remember? Do you, do you remember your dreams? So ever since I've been listening to the podcast, I've been trying to be more aware of them, and I wanted to share this one with. Well, I'm not going to share this whole one on the show. I'll share it with you later. But I basically had a dream where my mom came to me and said, it's time to move on with regards to my marriage. Like, let go of what happened. Right. It's time to move on. And I believe with my whole heart that she did come to me in that dream. I, I really do believe that that was my healing. And when I struggle ever since then, anytime I'm in the dumps, like deep in the dumps, I'm like, nope. Pick yourself up because I, I can't show it on the podcast, but she basically like with her hands, you know, went like that, like time to move on. So that was a really long answer to your question. No, no, it's, it's good. And in my world, I treat dreams that every single fragment of a dream is a part of yourself that's cut off from you. So in that dream you had, that's not only, it could be the spirit of your mother, I'll, I'll go with that, but it also can be your own healer, the mother within you that is reaching out to you and giving you big time advice. Sarah, it's over. It's just how long do you want to be attached to what happened and grieve over it before you move on? Because you're going to move on. How long yeah. do you want to hold on to it? Because society would say, I just saw Sarah Brown. She looked like she's having a good time. Didn't she just get divorced? <laughs> I, so we go to ourselves, we say, I got to look like I'm really unhappy for the next six months. Because if I show I'm happy, they're going to think she's weird. But the truth is, here's the truth. How long yeah. do you want to hold on? I don't want to hold on to it anymore. Well, you are such But a, why am I scared to let go of it? Because still... it's, it's uncertain. Mm -hmm. But you have to embrace and have faith. That, and I know, I know we just met, but I already know with you that your ability to trust your inner self, just trust it. If it tells you let go and who cares, move on, 
than to say, do it. If you go back grieving, that's the mind playing games with you. Mind gets stuck in the future and the past and yeah. paralyzes the present. So say that one more time. Say that one the more mind, time. The mind lives in the past and the future and paralyzes the present. You've been in an odd way, no matter what the circumstances, no matter how, how horrible it might have been. And I've been, I've been in a few situations like you've been in uh, previously. No matter what it is, in truth, from your individuated soul, you've been liberated. Mm. You are truly, it's hard to accept that right now because you're meant, you're meant to feel bad after X number of years of marriage. Yeah. But you've been given a gift to say, okay, this is where I'm at now. I can feel sorry for myself or I can say, no, I'm going to open up all, I'm going to open up all the avenues. I'm going to get to know my inner self. I'm going to take the course. I'm going to follow my dreams and realize that in this experience you're going through now, you just opened three doors that never would have opened if you hadn't been liberated. God, I, I just wrote down, I've been liberated. You are. Your show is liberation. You, you have, now you're living the show. And that's even more reason. You're showing people, okay, I talk about this stuff all the time. I've gone through it. Now I'm in it. I'm going to show you right now how I'm going to handle it. I'm going to be the example because I can't have a show that I don't, I, I myself aren't an example of what you do. And your dream life will be showing you, it's like a, taking your temperature. It will show you where you are and where you need to go because it will show you where you're undernourished in your life. It will show you where you need to to put your love and devotion to and where you don't need to. And you start doing that to yourself and you're just changing the ball game altogether. So how do you become more aware of your dream life? Okay. Like what if people are like, I don't, I don't remember my dreams. Stephen. Right. I mean, I do, but what if they say that? Okay. okay. So it's a dreaming. Remember your dreams is a habit. That's okay. all it is. It's nothing. You're probably having four to five dreams a night. You tend to remember the last dream before you wake up because that's the longest, what they call the REM period, which is the rapid eye movement. That's the longest, like an hour and a half of dreaming. When you first go to bed at night and you receive, the first REM period might be 10 minutes. So we tend to remember the dreams as we're coming into awakeness, number one. Okay. So what do you do if you don't remember? I say the reason you're not remembering it is because you haven't treated your dream life like it's a relationship. Oh. So what I do is seduce it. Go out and buy a dream journal and look at it at Staples or wherever and look at it and say, hey, dream life, look what I'm buying just for you. <laughs> I'm okay. buying a, a really fancy journal. This isn't a, like a school notebook. This is costing me money. That's how much I'm interested in you. It's beautiful leather. Uh -huh. Beautiful leather. This doesn't, I don't do this for everybody. And then you, then at night when you're going to bed, you just kind of say to yourself, hey, listen, I got a, I, I am so open to remembering you. I've got my book next to me. I just want you to know if you send me a fragment, I'm going to honor it. I'm going to write it down. I'm here to start a relationship with you to the dream, to the dream world. I want okay. you to be my friend. And if it takes me a couple of weeks, so be it. But I'm going to be here every day for you. It's a relationship. So do you, so 
do you write them down in the middle of the night? Do you write them no. when you wake up? Well, I'm jaded because I've been remembering for so long. I go, oh, that's not important. That's just my brain storing memory. Because, you know, there are like six or seven different things the brain's doing from, it's so complicated, the dream process. It's not one thing. So I, I pay attention to, let me give you an example of paying attention to a dream. Okay. I had a dream of being in a city, which oftentimes is kind of the mind, the mental part, the you know the the all the kind of goings on of the mental process that we all go through, the sixty thousand thoughts we have a day. And when you're in a city, if you think of it, that's a pretty good metaphor because so much is going on at one time. Right. So it's like a brain metaphor. So anyway, I'm in the city with my taking going to lunch with my oldest son. I have four sons, and. Uh, I, we get to a restaurant, and I go, no, 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 I don't want to go there. And then we walk. And then I get all involved in, like, a street fair that's going on with juggling and all sorts of stuff. And I ignore the restaurant. My son's sitting there. I go, okay, okay, we'll go to a restaurant. Find an era. No, I don't care about that one. No, we're not going to. Let's go. And then I got more involved. And finally, he turned to me and said, Dad, I'm hungry. Hmm. And I woke up with that, and I go, is that about food? And I went, no, that's about balance. What it's telling me, the dream, is that my mental activities are so being focused on and so giving the attention to that I've ignored the cries of my body, the hunger. Oh. And I realize I'm out of balance. My body is calling me and saying, Dad, I'm hungry. I need to be nourished. And so the next week and a half, I could spend time taking care of my body. So give. I was thinking, and how do you decipher this? So I was thinking, oh, maybe it's telling you that you're not being present with your loved ones. Like, how do you decipher them? Because, and that's what you try to develop in the course. I come to listen to the inner voice that resonates the truth. Okay. I don't okay. get caught up in, could this be what it means? I just say to the following, let's say I have an anxiety dream, which I had two nights ago, yeah. two nights in a row. And I woke up and I said, you know, you know, that dream where you're kind of dream where you're taking a test and you're not prepared. Yes. Yes. I have that all the time. <laughs> it's horrible. It's horrible. It's Terrible. Horrible. Mine is, you know what mine is? I have to get to the airport and I'm, <laughs> and I'm, I have to pack last minute and I'm racing, racing, racing. And I, and I just can't get there <laughs> all the time. So, okay. So I wake up from that and I don't go, well, this is about a test you're taking. I go, this is just pure anxiety. Yes. And then I turn to myself and say, where in my life since it came two days in a row, Am I feeling the most anxiety? Mm -hmm. And in the course, once we discover what that is, we then go about the business of that very day to start dealing with that anxiety, to lessen it, to confront it, to be in relationship to it that day, because I know it's speaking to me. I know it's important. And it's up to my conscious mind now to support the healing of that moment. And then once I discover it, what it is, and I do something about it, I lessen the anxiety, and guess what? I didn't have the dream anymore. So who first started this body of work or research around dreams? Like, was this a Freudian thing? Yeah, or like where yeah. Well, dreams up to the uh, early 1900s 
were, you know, they were predictions of the future and they mainly were for kings and princesses. You know, it's how people are reincarnated. They're always a king sometime in their life. Right, right, right. You know, they weren't just some schluck, poor guy. Born a slave, getting his ass kicked every day. No, no, you have to be a king. (laughs) But in dreams, that's how it was, that, you know, the, the, the powers that be would have a dream maker of some sort or a symbol to read the future. And that continued all the way up to the 1900s when Freud wrote his, uh, the interpretation of dreams in 1901. And that became the first time that dreams became democratized. And that world then got splintered because Carl Jung was a student of, of, Freud. of Freud. And Carl Jung separated out because he allowed dreams and the inner life to also have a spiritual component, and Freud was an atheist. Oh, so do you believe that um, dreams have a spiritual component? I've had them, yes. I believe that's what individuation is. I have this crazy theory that's really going to sound nuts to you, okay? No, no, I I know, I'm going to love it, I'm going to love it. That we're like, before we're born into our bodies, if you take the idea that we're energy, you know, we're energy, we know we're energy, we know you can't destroy or create energy. Right. And then you come into Earth, think of the trauma, if you're pure energy, of creating a person in form with limbs and bodies and hearts and lungs. Think how traumatic that is when you're that first moment you're born and you come out screaming and you're in a world yes. of lights. Yes. And that, and I think at that moment, is when we forget who we really are and get caught up in the fact that we're in these bodies and on this earth and on this crazy world and we get fragmented. It's like you dropped a plate onto a floor and it fragmented and we spend the rest of our lives trying to put the plate back together to remind us who we actually are. Are. You know, and I also think that we've lost a appreciation for wisdom Mm. with people who have lived on the earth for so long, because if people, which I believe get more self-actualized or individuation, then, then why are we not appreciating that wisdom that you get from, from growing older? Right? Yeah. Well, remember the old days that the, the, the uh, elderly would live with the family. They Mm -hmm. had a place in the family. They were not put away. <laughs> I'm getting to a point where my children, that's my biggest fear, is that they're now going to have the discussion of putting me away. You know, it's mm. like, you know, where we take our older parents, they kind of can't take care of themselves. So we'll dump them over here in mom's yeah. favorite place or daddy's coming home or whatever the name of the institute is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, we don't need you anymore. You know, whatever it is, you're there and then you're this these vulnerable people around other vulnerable people and you're not sharing one second of wisdom with anyone mm-hmm. because we value youth and we think age is we think age is um is a kind of a fault. Like if you really cared about things, you wouldn't get old. But I yeah. see you're getting old, so I'm gonna have to put you in an institute. So I my mom really worried about that too, and she was like, So here's the deal, you're not doing it. And 
We didn't. We actually, the three of us fought over who was going to get her. <laughs> um, and she ended up, we, she ended up getting sick and passing away in her home, but we all shared that time. We went and stayed with her and shared that time with mm. her. But, and, um, and how was that? Uh, it was one of the greatest gifts of my life Wow. of my life. You know, I promised myself that, um, you know, when my, my dad died when I was younger, I was like 23 and I didn't appreciate the, those last months with him. And so I said, I'm going to do it differently with my mom and I'm going to be present and I'm going to be with her and I'm going to hold her hand and I'm going to say the rosary with her or put lotion on her piggies if she needs it. But I was going to be present. And I just, you know, when I was in my twenties, I just couldn't mentally, I wasn't ready for right, it, you know, right. definitely. But I was with her. And then I wanted to say one other thing too, when you mentioned that, like, um, when we're born, the friction and what else did you say? Like the, well, how did you refer I mean, to the just, energy? I mean, just think if you went, if you this weekend took a bowl of energy that's in your new house and you were given yeah. the assignment to turn that into a person and you worked all weekend really hard and you finally came up with somehow putting some atoms together you mysteriously mystically put together a human being that would be a pretty traumatic experiment yes yes this is what i was going to say conversely um when you die that's that's pretty traumatic too right yeah. but it's a moment in time and somebody at work today was talking about this with me and like, is it painful for people? And, and another person I interviewed on my podcast, she's like, dying isn't painful. I don't remember any of it because she literally died. And um, that was kind of nice for me to hear because people watching a loved one die, it is so awful to watch. Right. It is. But what she, she, but she was saying like, you don't remember it. It's a minute in time. I didn't remember any of it. Uh, that was that was kind of nice for me. And another person said, you know, think about when somebody's born. It is painful and traumatic, and so is dying. I don't know if that has anything to do with your energy piece. No, but. no, it's connected because basically uh, Carl Jung said there's only one relationship you need to come to terms with, and, and that is what's your relationship to the universe. And I believe I believe in spirits. I believe we're spirits in human form. I believe in that because if I'm going to accept I'm just a body, what a bad equation. So I was really good looking at 36 and then you're going to make me look like this at this age. This is your idea of moving in the right direction. This is a nightmare. And then, right. you, and then you're going to give me some nice disease that I'll get. It'll be painful. My children will have to watch and I'll be right. humiliated by all the physical things I can't do. Thanks. This has been great. So your body you either come to that and it's either a moment that happens to you or whatever, but you need to not need to. I just, I just think the universe is so incredibly uh, magical and crazy that the idea of the, we being spirits in a human form, isn't that wild when you consider it. So one of my favorite words is magic oh. and I love that you said the, it's magical because I do really think it is. So I was thinking how, if you were to give one tip on doing that inner work, yeah. Um, 
and maybe magical isn't even part of that, but I just want to tell you, I love that word. Um, <laughs> how do you teach people to do inner work? Like what would be a first step? Okay. The first step, not the, it's not the first step, um, okay. but it's close to the beginning. What I get people to do eventually, once they get comfortable and in, into the, um, into the course, is to map out the different voices that are in their head, the angry voice, the joyful voice, the spiritual voice, the sexy voice, the uh, dutiful daughter voice. Mm. And I have them write a chart of all that. And then of all the voices, so it's like around a circle. And these are all the voices that take up my time, my conscious mind. These are the voices saying, you're late, you ought to be nice to someone. What a what the, the voice you had when you saw the garbage in the the shopping cart. Right. That's part of you, and yeah. and and all that. So you get the voices, and then I ask, okay, we've got all these voices, some good ones, some negative ones, but we got them. What are your loudest voices in you? What okay. speaks to you, and you listen to the most? And then you just you choose that, or tell me that. And then I go, what of the voices, and I call it an orchestra. It's the orchestra of your voices, and you effectively are the conductor. You're the person, the adult, managing. So if a part of yourself is the flute section, but no one can hear it, your job literally is to nourish the flute section so we can hear it, so it can play the Ninth Mm. Symphony. And that loud tuba that's completely inappropriate, that just shows up every day doing crap, yeah. You say to that, you know what, we need, you need to be quiet now. So why do we do that? Because the first step to the inner voice, the inner world is to become aware of the voices that are within us. And when we spot them and I give them names. So I have like Randy revenge, uh, angry Al, anxious, Andy, uh, Wally, Wary word, Stevie, sexy boy, Steven, spiritual Cir- seeker, stressed out, Steve, uh, Judd the Judger, Izzy the Impatient, Fearful Freddy, Funny Frankie. And when I show up, like they showed up three weeks ago, Lazy Larry showed up when I was taking okay. a walk. Lazy Larry. And he said, Stephen, let's not walk up this hill. Let's just go back and watch TV. <laughs> yeah. And I said, Larry, Larry, listen to me. I'll tell you what we're going to do. Yeah. Not only are we going to walk up the hill, but because of your comment and it disrupting my consciousness, we're going to run up the hill. <laughs> and you know what was so great? That was the end of Lazy, Lazy Larry went away for that the was moment. The that end. was the end. I mean, my, because what happens is we get overwhelmed, our conductor. And I actually want to make yeah. a serious point about this. Okay. The, the conductor within us, is if it's not strong enough, and in women, a lot of the dreamers I'm dealing with are females who are totally put together, amazing people like yourself, but they have in the inside part from thousands of years of cultural, they don't have the ultimate inner confidence that they should have. Mm. Even though they're doers, they're getting it done, they're amazing, they're smart, they're all the things you want. When you get down to it, they're not as fully confident. And that's called in the course, your animus. It's the male component of yourself. Okay. And then we start to build the animus within you by a series of mantras that are reassuring quotes from different strong females that you say every day to take your animus to the gym so it can stand up to Lazy Larry and say, Larry, 
Hey, Larry, hey, listen, or for you to say, hey, hey, bad marriage, not, not happening right now. You know what? I'm moving on. Yes. I'm not going to waste my time. At my, I have too many things to do. I'm sorry. You're missing out on one of the great creatures of the world. If I do find another one, it will come. I'm not worried about it. I have faith in myself. That's the confidence that I want. That's the yes. confidence. Yes. Oh, God, I can't wait to start your course. Oh, you're going to be a killer in the course. You really will be, though. God. Because anyway, so for you, let's just do that. What's the loudest voice in your head these days? Um, not good enough. Yeah. Not good enough at work. You're not contributing enough at work. <laughs> um, you know, cause you're tired and you're, you know what I mean? Like you got all this stress and yes, you're not contributing enough at work. That's what it's been, which is, which is kind of bullshit. Frankly, of course I think you. it's, I think it's not good enough. You're not good enough in general. And it's, I'm, I'm projecting it onto the work stuff. Correct. And that voice, probably since a lot of the a lot of the dreamers I have, I have males, but I have mostly females because they're, to be honest with you, have showed the most courage to face their own inner life. It's like they know how to embrace it. Even when I was teaching in high school, yeah, it was the girls that got the material. It wasn't the boys. The boys are like idiots. Well, you know, I mean, most women are ones that go like go to church regularly and they get the men to go. And so that would make sense because they're working. I'm not an organized religion person, but they are, you know, yeah. So that would make sense to me. Okay. Can we, first of all, I'm uh, listeners, there will be in our notes, there'll be links and everything. Stephen, can we close out with you to share one of your quotes? Oh. Was that all right that I put you on the spot with that? <laughs> Here's my hat. I have the <gasps> hat with the uh, You have quotes. it? I have the, the hat that I use for the quotes. Okay. I didn't know if that was a legit hat or if it was a, um, no. like, fake audio. Oh, no, my God. No, okay. No. Okay. No, it's really, it's a real deal. All right. Let me put that. All right. Okay. Here we go. Uh, let's see. Okay. So this, uh, and, uh, this I wrote down. The unconscious puts stumbling blocks in our way so that we will grow and become. Who is that? Uh, that was that was for uh, Carl Jung. The unconscious puts stumbling blocks in our way so that we will grow and become. So for yourself, you've been receiving some stumbling blocks, correct? Yes. I want to make an invitation to you right now. Okay. I want you to be, I don't know how we're going to mechanically do this. Yeah. But after you, if you do end up taking the course, oh, I want it. you to be the first guest we have with Mikey and I to discuss your experience. <gasps> okay. I I'm, not, I'm putting that aside. I'm just going to say you're Listeners, going to be. you've heard it here first. I'm, now I, he can't, he, Mikey, he can't say no to this. We'll, and we'll do a quote. And, and so when I say the quote, forget what my reaction is. Uh, things are put in your way. So yeah. you will grow and become. So you've been thrown You've been throwing some obstacles your way. 
can you up. can you imagine that somehow that that is going to end up being somehow a way that you're going to grow and become something that you wouldn't have become um i believe it but i haven't been able to imagine it yet if that makes sense i yeah. haven't been able to see it i know i know that that's i i believe that with my heart no i believe that with my head i right. think i just don't believe it with my heart yet like i i can't imagine or dream it yet but i want to dream it i do i uh, do and that's the I mean, I think that if you go back and look at different experiences you've had with obstacles, and I've had obstacles, big. I'm in the midst of an obstacle. Yeah, you are. Parkinson's is an obstacle. Yeah. And I choose, and that's the thing with your doing, like, how long do you want to hang on to the grieving of, your, of the marriage? How long do you want to do it before you can give yourself permission to go, hey, I'm on a planet I'm in space circling a star at 250,000 miles an hour. I am not going to lose my way because of relationship. I used to like looking people in the eye and look at them and say, hey, are you the one? Are you the one who's going to take me down? You think you got it to take me down? You think I haven't been on the planet for these years and you're the one? I'm going to be crushed by you? No. I will not be crushed by you. I will grow because of you. And that was one of the failing forward stories that I was going to tell you that it, that when I was in senior in high school, I had a lunatic alcoholic teacher who yeah. always called his Falcon car, which is an old Ford. He used to call it his, his Lincoln. And I used to correct him and say, sir, you don't own a Lincoln. You own a Falcon. And he took a dislike to me that was really intense. And oh. one day he came to me, this after my father died and everything, he came to me and he said, I'm failing you for the year. What? And I did, year what was exactly what I said. I said, what? <laughs> he said, yeah, I think you need to spend another year. And I said, it's September. How do you know what I can do? And oh. for then and all the way to the end of the year, I would get back grades like it would say D minus and then next to it, great job. Like I was working at the top of my intelligence. To what? Yeah, this is my teacher. And I didn't have dad to help me. So I went to the administration and said, hey, lunatic, lunatic is over in building B. <laughs> and he's like really screwing with my life now. Can you get me out of this class? No, Stephen, it's good for you to face the adversity. It's not gonna allow me to get into college. Oh and I God. didn't. What? I didn't get into college that first year. I had high lofty. I eventually went to the University of Pennsylvania, but I had lofty. I had good grades. I, and this guy was killing my G GPA. And and, uh, oh and by the way, that, that school, just so you know, the school that Judy and I talked our three kids, took our three kids to. Yeah. I became the JV coach and we played the very school that I went to when I was young. And I would say to my my players before we got off the bus to play baseball, I hate this school. <laughs> I love it beyond anything you can Im imagine. And I will pay you money to win today. Oh, my God. Did you win? Did oh, yeah. you oh, win? I did. hope you did. We won. I so, love that you won. So the end of the story was, 
I realized later that he, Mr. Mr. Dyson was my best mentor. And I had a picture of him in my room. And after I tell the story, they go, why in the world do you call him your best mentor? And I said, because I'm the only one in the class who made a living out of writing. Oh, my God. Wow. And by the way, you mentioned stealing home. I was, Judy was about to have my son, Billy, who's Katie's husband. Katie. Yes. And oh, wait. Well, by the way, we have to give a shout out to Katie Campman. Because she, Katie Campman. Katie Campman works with me, and she was the one that told me about you. And this would not have happened if it wasn't for her. And she didn't want me to say that, Stephen. But I, I know to. she doesn't. She is the most beautiful, thoughtful, smart. I know. I love her dearly. And she connected you and I together. She connected us. Yeah. And that, that that's a real connection with us now. Yes. And so that's Katie. That's, that's Katie. Katie. Katie did that. Yeah. So wait, so your ha- so my last so my last story on the failing forward was I Wait, was- hold on, hold on. Judy was pregnant with Billy. And what were you saying about that? Hmm. Judy was pregnant. We moved into a house and I had construction going on. When I got a call, I was fired from the Newhart show, which I was on TV, and I was counting on that money. Yeah. And I have a baby coming and I have people I remember I said to Bob Newhart when he called me to say he was sorry, knowing perfectly well he probably wasn't. I said, Bob, I can't hear you. All the construction crew are making too much noise. Because, and then I turned, and this is and this is the moment that we're talking about. God love my wife, Judith. I, I said to you, go off the phone. I said, I'm fired. It's no money. You're going to have a baby. And I said, what do you think? And she looked at me, and I swear to God, she looked at me and said, something better will come along. Oh, I love her. Oh, she's the best. And so what happened and she's was, right. Well, she was right. And so what did I do? I met with my friend who I'd been a partner with at Second City. And I said, look, I'm probably out of show business. Uh, this is a bad moment. I've been fired. So I would like to write something I care about. And he said, same here. And we liberated ourselves as writers instead of writing screenplays that will fit what you America wants or what Hollywood wants. I said, let's just write what we care about. And we wrote about my father. We wrote in different cafes in the Palisades. They would kick us out, go to another cafe, wrote on a legal pad, did it in three weeks, sold the script in six weeks. What? Yeah. And then four years later, I got to make Stealing Home. Movies are hard to make. But at first, I thought, this is nothing. That being fired off that, that show was that's the failing. Insane. That's the failing forward moment because that's when I, I would have never written Stealing Home if he hadn't dumped me off the show. <sighs> Whatever's happening through you, something is coming your way that you'll look back and say, oh, my God, I hate saying this, but it's kind of a blessing that happened because, oh my God, I would have never done this. And that's, that's the story of all my failing forward stories. They're all like, if you ask the right questions and follow your inner path when you're at your low moment and just have faith in it and just say, take me where you want me to take it. I surrender. I'm not saying you're going to write stealing home, but, or (laughs) I'm not going to do something, but that, 
I believe in that 100%. I want to thank everyone behind the scenes, especially Adrian Donica and the team at Gwyn Sound. Also, please find us on social media outlets at Fail Forward Pod. <laughs>